Alrighty, hello everybody and happy new year. You are listening to Dathropology brought to you by Radio DePaul. My name is Nisha and we decide we're going to share pet peeves today. And this happened to me as I was walking to the train station today. I hate when I walk near somebody who like scuffles their feet against the sidewalk every step they take. That's my pet peeve. Uh, my pet peeve is when you're walking on the sidewalk and there are people who are group walking like side to side and they see you're walking and instead of one going behind the other, they continue to sidewalk so you will have to potentially walk onto the street to get around them is my pet oh, peeve. Oh, I hate that. I, I just bump into people. <laughs> like, I, no, I've gotten to the point like I, I've decided that like if it's a parent and they're holding hands with their kids and like it's taking up space, it's like, okay, whatever and I'll go around. But if it's and this this happens a lot with freshmen on campus, like, mm, I they, can see that. Like they just exist in like a little vacuum in their little pod of safety. Yeah, and they don't know how to like walk. I feel like a lot of the um, young undergrads are also like you know I call you have the common areas outside of classes. Mm. I feel like I was like I so the other day when I was in the loop, I was like listening to a conversation, and like. I hate, I don't like to sound dismissive, but as a graduate, like, I felt like, it felt like an entire different world. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. so weird listening to it. And I was like, I can't believe that used to be me four years ago. (laughs) Like, just a couple years ago. Like, it's just really funny. Like, that was me as a freshman, probably probably graduate students who encountered me. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same as, like, being in high school when you see, like, the new freshmen. You're like, these are infants. Yeah, yeah. They don't know how to exist. Uh, but we we have a lot to talk about today that isn't ourselves because this episode is about pronatalism and if you've never heard about it I've never heard about it before Jeffrey suggested it as a topic yeah shout out to Ready to Glare for inspiring this episode so I wanted to just start off with a simple definition and it's basically pronatalism is a collection of policies or incentives from a government to encourage people to have children but it is also the sort of general non-government pushes to have children and generally seeing people have children as the norm whereas people who are childless people who are childless are not the norm right so it's a range from maybe a child tax credit all the way to your parents like hey have have grandkids for me you know and sometimes it's like a religious thing like be fruitful and multiply or whatever right yeah or because if you think about it if like if you if you just looked at that definition and you were like why don't just everyone just go around and have as many kids as possible right then there wouldn't be because a lot of pronatalists also push the nuclear family structure. True. So it's kind of, so it's kind of interesting. It's like a dichotomy of well, we want you to have lots of kids, but we also want this stable and environment. Like we want like a couple because you right. think about it. If everyone just went around and procreated, let's say, then you would have a lot of. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm just saying like by that definition, you could think like that. So it is a, it is an interesting thought. Yeah, it, it's like quiverful, but. Tr- like made to try to appeal to people who aren't yeah. Christian fundamentalist types. Mm-hmm. But the the other extreme uh, side of this is antinatalism. And that's one of the first things I thought of when I was looking into this topic and sort of like if you've ever seen like r slash child free, you know, rants and those types of things. 
Yeah, I was like, when I thought of it, I was thinking of when Professor Klugman, when we were talking about like bioethicism and he talked about how like the one child policy was effective. So that made me think of like the one child policy and like other government restrictions against having more kids. Yeah. And there is, I don't know if we've mentioned him in other episodes before, another bioethicist. His name is Travis Ryder and he's not on like the extreme end of like never have children ever, but he advocates for having zero to two children as an effort against climate change and really heavily advocates for adoption yeah. rather than like having biological children. Yeah. And I wanted to just add that both of these extremes, like anti and pronatalist arguments, get pretty eugenicsy pretty quickly. Yeah, and very nationalist. Yeah. So like you don't really want to be on either side of the extreme. Yeah, it's 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 a nice a nice middle ground, I think, is always the right answer. Or like you can have a stance somewhat near a side, but I would never go to like far left, far right on either position is how I would say. Because I, I get right. where someone's like, Well, I don't want people restricting how many kids I can have. Or I get people saying, Well, I don't think it's great to have a bunch of kids if maybe like with like, you know, a bunch of different people. Like maybe that's their opinion. I don't know. You know? Right. Because, like, the two statements I put is, like, either I don't want these types of people to have children, which is antinatalist, or it's best if the right people have the right children. And those are those are anti and pronatalist, but they end up being very similar statements. Yeah, and it's also, like, we also have this, like, with the new fertility technology, there's now, like, where you can pick certain things, like, genes out, which... It started as a good idea because it was getting rid of hereditary diseases that were that were causing like a lot of people suffering. But now it's become where people are picking the genders of their baby or like the hair color they want their offspring to have. Like that's an actual thing you can pay for if you're rich enough, which I find very startling. Mm. Well, I think like even with diseases and stuff, like life is still worth living. Yeah, but it's it's saying that if you could stop a kid from suffering, like it's not right. you're not killing it. You're you're just picking the best ones that are there out because they're they are not going to take that gene. Yeah, which I'm so conflicted. Yeah, I I get that, but I also I also understand the argument for it because a lot of those diseases were fatal. So it's like, would you mm. would you want to born born a kid who's going to die young, like if you could prevent it? Right. I have seen people try to like pick out, you know, sort of things like autism or depression, and it's like, well. It's like instead of doing that, you could also yourself instead of picking the kids out, you could also because there's some while it is biological, there's also the environmental factors that can influence you onto your children. So I think like if your first thought is bioselecting your kids, well, maybe it's also bettering yourself, which we can all do like in all situations. Yeah. I don't know. And there are a lot of. factors for like why people like would or wouldn't want to yeah so like there's a lot of articles so they're like the accent et al article from 1984 was the mother's preference of family size which influences that of children through early adulthood likewise the extended family influences fertility intentions with increased number of nephews and nieces increasing the preferred number of children which is true because i come from a very large extended family so like for a long time i i idealized a large family because growing up my dad is one of eight. My mom is one of seven. I have so many cousins. And when I go to family gatherings, like, it is fun. Because, like, I feel like I have a lot. But it's also, when you get older, you realize, like, 
because if you have a large extended family, like, and this happens with smaller families too, but there's a lot of cousins you don't really know because there's just so many people that like everyone kind of groups up. It's like, it's like you're in a cafeteria with cliques, like, which this happens with regular siblings too, but it's much more apparent when you have a large extended family. So th- th- there is like a, I, I agree with that, like arguing, because I, I think I yeah. idealized that growing up. Because I, I have a pretty small family and I prefer that. Yeah. I, it's I, like remembering birthdays or even like the amount of attention I got as a kid. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I know kids who are born into Mormon, it's like polygamous Mormon families who are some of them like they were indoctrinated into thinking that is normal while others broke away from that because they didn't think like that. So I definitely see how that would influence it. Another thing was, um, so the Nicoletta article mentioned social pressure from kin and friends to have another child, which I definitely see people are like, oh, don't you want your kid to have a sibling? Like, don't you don't want them to be lonely? Which I think it can be well-intentioned at first, but it's also like labor is the closest like most women get to death so like you should never like unless the parents said they want another kid i don't think it's and it's also just inappropriate because some kid people may have fertility issues afterwards or just even before having children so it's just inappropriate to say that so i'm 21 right now and i've already have had like other people like not necessarily my family ask me if i like like have kids or why don't i have kids yet yeah and like it's so like off-putting isn't it yeah and like as a man i would i have never felt that like the closest thing i've ever had was my korean uncle <laughs> recently i talked to him he's like when are you gonna get married and that's a huge thing in korea because as we're gonna talk about later yeah. the marriage rates are so low that like even if you're not in a korea your korean relatives want you to get married, <laughs> no, get married. <laughs> so yeah, and i don't know maybe this is sort of like a silly point but i also wrote like is pronatalism on the rise and I sort of think like, yes and no. I think discussions around it are on the right. Yeah, I think we're, there's a large vocal minority that are making themselves an apparent. And there's a lot of like, so we were going to talk about this later, but I'm just going to quickly bring this up because I don't think we're going to have time for this. But like, I think everyone has seen Nick Cannon in the news for, I think because it's so preposterous, people having that amount of kids, like there's sister wives, there's Nick Cannon's baby saga, there's that, the yeah. Octomom. There's like 19 kids and counting. It's like, because people find that so fascinating. It's like people are tuning in and they're actually taking in pro-natalist agenda without even realizing it. Yeah. I, I put more, I put down more that like the Handmaid's Tale got really popular in yeah. 2020. People were thinking like, oh, there's going to be so many babies during the pandemic and it didn't happen. But I think there was sort of a push like, oh, the population is sort of, starting to decrease we should have kids Mm. instead and there's also that like alt-right like sigma whatever male content that i think is slowly becoming more popular yeah but which i would say that like like i said it's it is a vocal minority and i've never issued a lot of people just aren't getting married anymore like that's just around the world like there is a large group of young people who just who've seen like because they've been through toxic marriages for their parents who just don't want to get married and that's such a valid choice and uh, there are people a lot of now it is normal to be like a single parent but there is also like you know like when you think of the idealized white view of the american family it is very that picket fence nuclear family structure and you are seeing more people less having kids but there is this thing of like oh adopting and 
you know, there also could be like why that is happening. Yeah, I don't know. I also just I don't think marriage is worth it, in my own opinion, but that's not what this episode is about. Uh, I wanted to before we cut to the ad break, just briefly talk about a few like ad campaigns and other oh sounds good things for like that countries are doing mm. as they're decreasing population. And the weirdest one, did you watch those ads? I've seen some of them, yeah. So they're called Do It For Denmark slash Do It For Mom. There's two separate ads, and they're both horrifying. They, like, sent shivers down my spine Yeah. when I watched them. I feel the same. Yeah, because it's basically that this uh, Danish travel company was like, hey, you can apply for an vacation discount if you're ovulating and hopefully you'll get pregnant while you're on your vacation and then and then and then if you give birth to a kid they'll like give you a bunch of like baby supplies and another vacation with your kid and that's like a pretty sweet deal but like you're also getting a kid and then and then the second uh round of ads were like hey do you want to be a grandparent sign your kids up for this with a donation and we'll send them on a vacation. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't. Was... I don't agree. Do you know what? I think the only appropriate government response to this issue is, mm. and I'm gonna make this very, as a poli sci person, very quick. Um, free childcare. So, like, if you want people to have kids, free daycare, increased teacher wages, so we don't have all these teachers leaving because teachers are most kids' second parents. Sadly, helping single parents more. Like, there's, there's just. If you want to also help the foster and adoption issue, you need to make it affordable to raise kids. Because in a lot of these countries, they're not having kids also. It's not affordable. Yeah. I also think the other, like, the other answer in my brain is to put more funding into elder care. Totally. Like, that, I don't know. That's a different project that I did last term, but that's not, I don't know. The other thing I wanted to look at in Europe was in Hungary. They had a policy of benefits for mothers, like both married and single, that helped quite a bit. But then they also had policies that were like that made it really difficult to get an abortion. So it kind of feels like a trap. Yeah. Well, did you see that? Um... So if you guys don't know that there are now abortion pills that are going to be sold in um, certain pharmacies. Mm. So that is now a thing in America. Interesting. For all the people who are... Um, why am I pro-choice? There we go. <laughs> like, I, mm. I had, like, the biggest brain fart for a second. I mean, this topic is so... It's so vast. Yeah. And then kind of quickly, there's also the three-child policy now in China instead of the one-child policy. It was the two-child policy for a little bit, but now it's three. Yeah, and which is good because there's a lot of killing of Chinese um, infant, female infants. Yeah. And also because the issue with that is they didn't take account, like, farmer families. It was yeah. One kid is not... Which, yeah. And then the other one is in Japan. They've been making some efforts but they haven't really worked. Yeah, it's like they've been trying to do like marriage ceremonies, like more daycare, which yeah. I notice it. Like there is a daycare near me. There's only like six, there's only like seven kids walking in like the teacher line. 
where I lived in Japan in Mizuho, which is a small town near Tokyo. But you you should still like see like fifteen or twenty kids. They're also paying families to move out of Tokyo. Hopefully, if they live somewhere with more space, they'll have more kids. In theory, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's been happening though. And then the final one is like, oh, this one's Japan also. Whoops. Uh, there's uh, data from two thousand nine that said that women at reproductive ages who are married spend 27 hours per week on household tasks on top of their work. Which, like, I did a bunch of math, and it's sort of like, if you're working eight hours, if you're working the same amount of those 27 hours every day, like, for seven days a week, and if you're working, and if you're, like, getting ready, and maybe that takes two hours in a day, and you have two hours left to yourself, on any given day. Yeah, that's not even accounting for the Japanese work culture where you have to stay after work to go with your coworkers or it's seen as inappropriate. Oh, true. You have to go to bars and stuff with your coworkers. Yeah. And I just, it made me think of this book, Kim Ji Young, born 1984, and that goes to Korea. But that's, if you can read that book, you should. It's really short, but you wrote the Korea part. Yeah. So in um Korea, so in South Korea, it has the lowest fertility rate of a developed nation right now. So the birth rates of so for a child born to the average woman, it's zero point eight one. The average is one or above. Mm. So before South Korea began its natalist policies to have more kids, the the reason South Korea is is right now is because it was actually for a long time anti-natalist. They didn't because the economy was developing so rapidly. They grew concerned like the ch- one child policy that they were actually promoting people not having kids. So, and then the drastic, when they realized it was not economically sustainable with their nationalistic agenda, because South Korea and Japan only want to immigrate from certain countries that have high, um, like, high-skilled laborers, how they're going to put it. So they're going to be, so in Japan, they're going to be recruiting high-skilled European people to look after the elderly in the next 10 years. So... Or they're gonna be using robots. Yeah, because they just South and then South Korea's fun fertility rates also due to gender equality. So it's the evolving phase of the family dynamic structure. Um, extremely high social competition, which is true. South Korea is like New York on steroids. So South Korea also has one of the highest costs of home ownership. Yeah, though it is the highest cost of home ownership in the world. Like everyone lives in apartments because you can't afford to own a home. And COVID nineteen really worsen the issue because there were people trying to get married but well, during COVID you couldn't right. marriage gatherings and you, if you um, a lot of them lost their insurance for reproductive like health and also it just a lot of them were stay at home moms who couldn't work so that like that also made other people's opinion soured on having kids and the current plan by the government is to provide a family with a newborn child $740 a month in USD, which is 1 million won in Korean. But it's going to start at 700,000 won until 2024. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we don't really need my opinion on this, so we can go to the ad break. <laughs> We're going to do song first and then ad this time. And your song for this week is Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, because I thought that was the most appropriate. We will see you in a moment. Are you a fan of stories from around DePaul and the Chicagoland area? Are you searching for some great audio journalism? Check out the Radio DePaul podcast. 
It features original stories composed in our award-winning Radio DePaul style with great journalists and producers. It's no surprise the Huffington Post included us in their list of the top 100 up-and-coming podcasts. The Radio DePaul podcast, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago's College Connection at your convenience. I always called it Chicago. <laughs> I feel like we're part of our Spotify podcasters now. We me reading that, or like an actual radio podcaster reading our sponsor. <laughs> and I just realized my mic wasn't on, and now it is. Oh my goodness! Well, happy New Year. Yeah. But again, like one of the inspirations was like Nick Cannon, but also a string of tweets that Elon Musk had a little bit earlier last year in like the first mm. half of last year and there's this article from a guy his last name is cook and it's from this year and it's really gross like the site is really gross but it's really interesting because it's such a good faith look at the natalist belief system that i like i don't really agree with but I don't know if you looked at the website, but the top banner, the navigation banner where you see like topics that this website covers or whatever, is as follows. Wokeness, Ukraine, Roe v. Wade, transgender, not transgenderism, just transgender, only one of them, bioethics, demography, COVID-19, families, book reviews, cartoons, and finally like a massive donate button. Oh my god. It's, it's tacky. It's a horrible website. Uh, I was on there for a little while, and one of them was like, should Ireland have stayed Catholic or something like that? Mm. I'm like, oh, so well, happy for no reason. Did you hear about on TikTok the guy who went viral because he said he is one of 150 children, and his dad had 27 spiritual wives in Canada. He's like the biggest Mormon fundamentalist. Like, It's like the Latter-day Saints of Mormonism that's like the polygamous Mormons. So his dad and some of the wives are underage at the same age as his kids, which is very weird. Oh, God. I've heard yeah. of that trope in media before of, like, your parents get divorced and then they marry somebody around your age and it's like, um... Yeah. I don't know, it's so creepy. But some of the tweets that came out from Elon this last year, though, were, if the alarming collapse in birth rate continues, civilization will indeed die in a whimper of adult diapers. Then, contrary to what many think, the richer someone is, the fewer kids they have. I am a rare exception. So cool. Most people know I have, most people I know have zero or one kid. And it's just like, I don't know. He's not like other capitalists. His dad is also having kids and he's older than Elon still. I feel like because like women at some point can't have kids, right? I think that's why men should be on birth control and not women. That is my male art, and that's coming from a man. I think it should not be on the responsibility of women to be on birth control. I think men should be the ones required to be on birth control. I think that, like, Hot take. men past the age of 55 should just... Oh, yeah. I That's really harsh, but I also think that you're kind of doing your kid a disservice at that point. Oh, I agree. But I don't know. I don't know. And then the last tweet, which I think is the dumbest is watch the opening scene of Idiocracy. When I ask my friends why they're not having kids, very few are. It sounds exactly like the movie. That, that movie is terrible. And then all of the comments for the opening scene on YouTube are like, this is just a documentary at this point. And I'm like, I'm strangling all of you. That's a, Yeah, I agree. But I don't know. 
So what is your like, what do you think you have your overall opinion since we don't have like a lot of time to go to the other arguments? Like as we're closing out, what do you think your overall opinion now of like this whole thing is? I think both sides are very silly. I mean, yeah. I, I spent a little bit of time on Reddit, which is a little silly because there's natalist, pronatalist, and antinatalist. And I was yeah. looking at all three of them and all three of them are just. Yeah. So my quick opinion is I'm against both and I'm in the middle. Both sides. <laughs> this, this episode went by really quickly. We hope you enjoyed. This was Death Apology, brought to you by Radio DePaul. And we'll see you next week where we'll be discussing tokophobia.